Let's bow your heads and let us pray. For the precious gifts of your word, Father, we are grateful. For shedding light unto immortality and eternity, we are grateful. For the love of God that surrounds us and all that we love, we will forever, Lord, be grateful. Bring forth your word as in the days of old. Teach us, you the greatest teacher, by the move of your spirit. Grant us understanding in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I will begin a series of teachings on the theme, the realities of eternity. And today will be an introduction of this theme. I want to quickly reflect on a few issues, but I will take my point of departure from Psalm 102, verses 11 and 12, and 23 to 28. And I will look at also Revelation, and when I get there, I will share with you the exact verses I will dwell on briefly. First, turn with me to Psalm 102, verses 11, 12, and 23 to 28. My days are like the evening shadow. I wither away like grass. But you, Lord, see them throne forever. Your renown endures through all generations. Verse 23. In the course of my life, he broke my strength. He cut short my days. Though I said, do not take me away. My God, in the midst of my days, your years go on through all generations. In the beginning, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them, and they will be discarded. Verse 27. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. The children of your servants will live in your presence. Their descendants will be established before you. This passage I have just read gives us an idea of the fact of God's creation that God himself is an architect of that creation. And in God creating the world, God has made the world to belong to him and also to be answerable to him. But in this passage also is to point out very clearly the fact of the limitation of the human of the human of, of the human race. Human beings have a temporality of existence in the world in which they live. They are quitting this world is not at their own discretion. It will be a demand of their creator to call them up to his nearer presence. But the passage also points out the fact of divine intervention to bring salvation to humankind. 
and ultimately to raise a people unto himself who will dwell with their descendants in his presence all the days of their life. Revelation chapter 22 verses 12 and 13. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Again, Revelation 22, verses 12 and 13, that I'm using as a summary of the entirety of the second Bible reading, is both an invitation and a warning at the same time. An invitation to what God is doing for his people to rejoice in, to share with him in his nearer presence all the days of their lives. But also the fact of the warning that the coming of the king himself, who owns everything, who brings the termination of this life in which we live, time that we discarded will be discarded not by itself, but the maker of time himself. The one around whom time revolves, but is not a part of time himself. He will call humankind to account. He will blow the final whistle, which will terminate the oppression of the temporality of time. This is a profound invitation indeed, and a resounding warning unto humankind and also unto creation. Now, friend, journey with me to underscore certain points which I will be raising on the premise of this general theme and its introductory series. It is the fact of the realities of eternity. Eternity. I'm wondering when last you heard a teaching about eternity. Often it is when we are conduct funerals that we inevitably encounter the reality of eternity. I want you to know the difference between the reality of eternity and the realities of eternity. They are not one and the same expression. The realities of eternity is speaking about various concepts and events and transitions that will occur in the process of human life that are all pointers to the fact of the reality of eternity. But they are realities themselves that culminate onto eternity. Human beings' refusal to engage quite frequently on one of the greatest themes that inevitably they will be having a date with is for at least two reasons. One reason is because a discussion or teaching on eternity naturally evokes fear. And that fear ranges from mild fear into severe fear. And that severe fear is expressed as apirophobia. Apirophobia is the fear of eternity. This fear could be so extremely severe in the lives of certain individuals that they even begin to seek for medication. They seek for medical attention because they live in this real fear that they cannot escape every moment of their life. 
Whatever be the divide you fall, whether in the extreme divide of apirophobia or in the other side of the mildness of the fear of eternity. The fact is that that disposition has in itself the propensity of causing you either to keep talking about it, not because you are ready, but because you're anxious about that, or to close your mind completely and behave as if the conversation of eternity is non-existent and therefore should not be reflected by you. Our hope of immortality does not come from any religions, but nearly all religions come from that hope. The concept of eternity, therefore, benefits from the concept of immortality of the human soul. And these concepts are inextricable from evangelization. There is no how, therefore, you would teach a series throughout the year about the whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world. And you will not visit the important concept of eternity. All religions agree in the continuation of life after death. But the details of that continuation vary between what is called the Abrahamic religion, namely Christianity, Buddhism, and Islam, and African and Indian religions. The concept of reincarnation is key in African and Indian religions in the continuation of life. In our world today, there is a high possibility that cultural integration as in the culinary, in our feeding, and all that we do, our dressing, is no longer uncommon. Also that our ideas of the continuation of life have become a combination of various religious and what, therefore, it means is that this point is drawing you to a caution. That as an African-American, as an African-Caribbean, as an African-African, Christians have a high propensity to hold a hybrid ideology of the continuation of life that is neither Christian nor African traditional religion. It is therefore not uncommon that some individuals that are African Christians still believe in reincarnation, but also they still believe in the final appearance of them before the Lord their God in eternity. These two points of views cannot be reconciled. They are completely irreconcilable. But sometimes we hold on to them based on the fact that perhaps we have not carefully thought about them. Concept of reincarnation in African traditional religion, which each and every one of us major worshippers in this faith community subscribe to, knowingly or knowingly, because cultural impact in our lives and being a repertoire of the cultural experience of your life, inherited from your parents and your social conditioning, you unknowingly express and hold onto this beliefs and practice. The fact is that, friends, if you interrogate this morning what you believe about reincarnation and what you believe 
about the coming of Jesus and your spending of eternity with God, it will surprise you to know that if you believe in reincarnation, you cannot think about the heaven. You cannot think about being with God forever in eternity. Because reincarnation is the concept of a series of rebirth. You are born, you die, you reincarnate, you're born again, and you die. And those series of rebirths continue. But it will not surprise me also that even though they are African Christians, they have also borrowed from the Indian religions of Buddhism, Hinduism, or Sikhism. The fact of also a principle that governs reincarnation called the law of karma or metempsychosis. The fact that human beings will again be purified in the presence of time. They will become something else that for the purpose of perfection. Those ideas are irreconcilable with the Christian faith. Salvation in the Christian faith is not based on a series of rebirth and purification repeating some mistakes you've made, relieving certain lives you have lived about disappointingly, righting the wrongs you have done. In Christian faith, the law of karma does not operate. It is the love of God. And Jesus Christ being the pastor lamb, who himself has died in your place, that you may receive eternal life as a gift. You will not go to heaven because you did good deeds. You will go to heaven or wherever you will go in eternity, as I will teach in the course of time, on the basis of your relationship, not with principle, not with an ideology, but with the person, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The concept of eternity is clearly laid out in Scripture. The Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments carefully in their panorama of eternity, play out the scriptures from the outset. From the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And also, the Bible account in the middle continues to show the fact of God being at work in executing his salvific activity for the redemption of this unique being called human created from the beginning. But in the study of the eschaton, the study of the end time things, the things of the end, in Apocalypse, the Revelation, we are confronted with the fact, like in the passage of Revelation that I read this, this morning, we are confronted with the fact of an invitation where the king of kings declares, I will be coming soon, and my reward is with me. Friends, the panorama of eternity that plays out in scriptures comes with an assumption that God shows up in creation and is assumed unquestionably to be in existence and therefore does not need to explicate his origin. He confers authority on humankind to govern his creation, but still being accountable unto him, the maker of, and the owner of the heavens and the earth. And even the owner of humankind itself or himself. Man falls and 
in the fall of man and the brokenness of man, God engages in redemptive work, which climaxes in the incarnation of the Savior, who is raised from the dead, reveals himself to his followers, hands over the baton to them to disciple the nations and to participate with him in the building of the kingdom of God. This is the panorama of scripture that plays out. One that is a careful student of scripture will see this drama playing forth from Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 until the last chapter of Revelation. This is laid out very clearly and in a very amazing way. There is the promise of the faithful spending eternity with God. But that will also mark the end of time. Eternity, therefore, is a radical Christian hope. The fear of eternity is real. It is strange, my beloved friends, unto authentic Christian. What that means is that your fear of eternity does not arise from a concrete knowledge of biblical revelation. Because the hope of eternity is a profound hope in the Christian life. It is what the child of God should look forward to. So much so that in the early church, as revealed in Acts of the Apostle, the Christians parted ways. Every day, they came together with the words, Maranatha, come Lord, come. When they broke the bread, when they drank from the same cup, they were showing it in demonstration of the coming of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who came himself to redeem them and to entrust into their gracious care and complete total loyal service every day of their lives in global evangelization, the participation in the building of a kingdom, a kingdom that is bigger than the church itself. But there the saints have become the instrument of God in his wisdom to build that glorious edifice as in way of a kingdom, that they will live in that kingdom in eternity. The realities of eternity, therefore, I will be teaching in the coming weeks, will be broken into segments of issues such as, what is eternity? The God of love, the God of justice, heaven, and finally, we will look at the concept of hell. Friends, these teachings are intended not to evoke fear, but to kindle unquantifiable joy. It is to kindle hope that no struggles of life, no pain of life, no failure should eclipse that hope. It is the hope of a world and of a life beyond this broken world. This world of disappointments, this world of failure, this world of diseases, of sicknesses, of uncertainties, of pain, this world of sorrow, this world of the have-nots bearing the brunt of sufferings in this life, and the haves living in opulence and living as though there is no tomorrow. But still, the have-nots can also be plunged into the derision and the delusion of the fact of them living hopelessly. Engaging in criminality, engaging in all kinds of things that impoverish them the more and make them more frustrated. God indeed is not just a God of the poor, 
in them being poor in cash and also being poor in spirit. It is about them being rich in their spirits, even though they may be poor in their pockets. For true prosperity before God is not in the abundance of what one has, but in the abundance of the Jesus in the soul of the human being. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we of all people most to be people. I carry my Bible every day to church. I carry my knees on the place of prayer, and the rock on which I kneel has footprints of my knees, making holes in the spots I kneel to pray every morning, every midnight, and every special moment of season. My hope is not just in this world. My hope must be in a better place, greater than here. For, for rest will only be sweet when labor is ending. The reward that will come is on the basis, not just because we were born into this world, but because we participated very curiously, very deeply, very committedly, very sacrificially in building a kingdom that will live in that kingdom in its glorified form for the rest of eternity. Somebody said, and I'd like to bring these thoughts to you as I conclude this teaching. This past shall fade away. The son himself grow dim with age. And nature sink in years, for thou shalt flourish in immortal youth, on hot amidst the wars of elements, the wrecks of matter, and the crush of war. May wisdom abound in your heart, that eternity will come when it will come. And whatever you've amassed in this world, as beautiful as it could be, you will depart to eternity. Only remember for what you have done. What you have done in the transformation of human souls to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. What you have done in the ardent and committed and sacrificial service of the master that conscripted you from when you got born again. When your destiny was encapsulated in your human life and delivered into this world to begin to execute it to completion and finally. I want you to bow your heads in prayer with me. Gracious Father, you will never change. Not only will you not change, you will never fail. You've called us to look beyond this world in which we live unto eternity. You've given us your son, Jesus Christ, that eternity might be spent with him. And so for that reason, he went ahead to prepare a place for us. We pray that you will teach us wisdom this morning to number our days and to understand the frivolity of the pursuits of human life. We may create a healthy balance between putting food on our table but also being ready for eternity. We give glory to your name because you've heard our prayers. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.